Hello and welcome to another episode of Kicking Back with Hirsch and Aaron. Now, you guys are probably a little confused as to wondering where's Aaron at, you know. Uh, so we, Aaron's not here this episode. You know, last week I wasn't with Aaron. When he was with Izzy and Devin, he joined the Heel Turn podcast. But this week we have something special for you guys. And I'm super excited because these two guys are some awesome guys. I can't believe that this took so long for us to finally do. But hey, let's go ahead and hop into it. This is going to be a reunion episode of After the Whistle. If you don't know what After the Whistle was, it was a radio show that we did in, in college. It was with Cam Blankenship, who joins us down. He's down here at the bottom. And then my boy, Eddie Garrison over here. Man, they make college so much fun. But what have you guys been up to? Uh, so I graduated in the middle of the pandemic, uh, December of 2020. Um, but when I was at UND, I was part-time at MSNL. I've transitioned into a full-time role. Uh, I do all the producing for the Pacers radio network. Uh, it's pregame, the game, and then postgame, and then pregame halftime as the board operator slash producer of the Colts radio network as long as their uh, highlight coordinator. And then I serve as the main uh, backup, per se. Um, the first guy in the bullpen they go to. I'm the closer, if you will, uh, for the Riva JMV, the Dan Dockett Show, and then Kevin and Query, uh, our three main shows here at uh, 93.5 and 175 The Fan. Uh, and then I kind of do whatever else they need me to do behind the scenes, whether that's, you know, Hershey can probably appreciate this being in sales in terms of uh, ratings for demographics and whatnot and how they do in certain day parts during certain times of the week and different months of the calendar year. Um, and then I do a lot of programming stuff too. Uh, basically, I wear a lot of hats and do a lot of different things just to make sure that I can make myself the most versatile uh, employer that I can, employee that I could possibly be. Ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know much about Eddie Garrison, let me tell you something real quick. This guy is a hustler. He will do everything underneath the sun to make sure that things get done around there. And I will say the closer, I, I know you're not going to like this reference, but, you know, he's Mariana Rivera. You know, that that's who he is. That's he's the he's the guy, you know. Uh, but yeah. yeah, I don't mind that. He was uh, he was one of the best. So even though he was a Yankee, I don't it doesn't bother me. Well, thanks for joining us, Ed. And then. Obviously, my boy Cam Blankenship. Now, Cam, let me let me let me give you guys a little story about Cam. Man, when I first met Cameron, this man was quiet. Like he barely, he didn't talk to anybody. He was just yep. kind of he kept to himself. And then one day we just started talking, and all of a sudden he's like, "Hey, man, we should do a radio show." And I was like, "You you want to do a sports show, bro? Like for real?" And then that's when I learned what his passion was. So just go ahead and kind of give us a little bit of the insight as far as what you do and how that ties to the, to the sports world. Like you said, I was behind the scenes. I'm one of the engineers for staff engineers. My, my actual title for MS communications. What I see, what I get to do is just pretty much all the audio stuff that we can get into um, in terms of what goes on for the shows. Um, if we're out on a remote locations, if JMV or any of the shows that for 935-1075, the fan is out, we I get to normally go out with them. Um, and you brought up the the Colts home games. I am the I am currently the backup for running the behind the scenes work for the Colts radio network. Two engineers that above me that are doing that right now, but I get to go, like you said. Each and every game, I'm up there in the press box, and I'll be sitting behind them or kind of just wavering here and there. So I do get to hear bits and pieces from from the different reporters that you would normally hear from that's even come on the the daily shows at, on 93.5 and 107.5. So it, um, I get to hear a good amount. And then 
like Eddie, I am actually most of the time here for Pacers when that's going on. Now I don't get to hear everything like when Mark Boyle or Pat Boyle and talk behind the scenes. I don't sit there and listen the whole time. So he, he may get more info mm-hmm. in terms of that or stuff like that. But uh, yeah, it's a, uh, I get to do, I feel like I get to do a lot more than I thought I was going to just being from the behind the scenes work. And you, you know, you get to hear bits and pieces of uh, information that maybe otherwise other people wouldn't just from being a normal, a normal listener. So no, that's awesome, man. No, that's, that's really cool. And I want to kind of start with you. Who's maybe like somebody you gotten to talk to, or what's just some of the coolest experiences you've had so far at a, uh, at your job. So I would say easily, uh, it's running the Pacers broadcast, uh, because here's why, um, I know there weren't many, but when they did win on the road last year, uh, the, they would now radio didn't travel last year. So Mark Boyle and Pat Boyle, and they were at the Gabe Ridge Fieldhouse studios. And then they, they would always have a PR rep over with the team, wherever they were. So whether it be like Golden State or whatever, that was the most fun game of the season, by the way, uh, when they came back and beat Golden State in Golden State. And they I was there. Out. Yeah, I was in uh, San Francisco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they, I don't think they had Rogden uh, at that time. So they were down like mainly everybody and like Justin Holiday and those kind of players that were in the pace uniform were responsible for the win. But uh, I would say when they went on the road, uh, what happens is usually the PR person will communicate with me and be like, Hey, who do you guys want for a post game interview? Uh, and so like, all right, here's who this person, this person, or this person. So then they'll text me, they'll text me back. And they're like, all right, you're getting this person. So then I relay that to, to Mark Boyle and then they'll call in to the station. So then I'm like the first person they talk to right after the dub. So I was, uh, I'd say Miles Turner was probably the coolest guy I talked to, but all of them are really cool. Goga was actually really fun to talk to just for like a minute. But uh, I'd say that's the most fun part is being able to, you know, talk to those guys like right after they get off the win and whatnot. But yeah, I've talked to some pretty cool people so far and hopefully more uh, down the road. Yeah, and I mean, you also have some experience with sports broadcasting. I mean, you're award winner for doing that. So, uh, you know, you you know what it's like to talk to a lot of these athletes after these games because, you know, like you said, there's a lot of uh, raw emotions. And, you know, as fans of the games, because, you know, this was kind of interesting. The three of us have all broadcasted before. We know what it's like to be a fan of the game and then to also call a game. That's, that's, a, that's a good feeling to be able to talk to them because you don't know what kind of good soundbite you're going to get from that. Yeah, uh, my first experience with that was, I don't, I don't remember when it was, I think it was his senior year, but CJ Hardaway had like a career night, he had like 40 points or something, he was going crazy, uh, and then he ended up hitting like the game-winning shot uh, with like two seconds left, so that was like my first uh, real experience with that. Now for you, Cam, like I said, yours is obviously a little bit different. Um, what's been some of the coolest experience have you had in your job uh, at, at MS? That's a tough question. Um I feel like I, I feel like I've done a lot just because we we go out where whenever there's something going on we're always out on like on the site so you never know who you're gonna run into like um, two years ago running into Mike Tarico while I was at at the uh, Minneapolis Motor Speedway because he came over for Dan um, Dan Dockage to talk to him and I just so happened to run into him and ask a few questions beforehand um, I feel like there's been a lot man there's a uh, uh, 
Your Heck picture even, with 50 Cent? <laughs> yeah, well, that 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 was kind of outside of that. That that picture with 50 Cent. That was that was after that was actually after the IMS. We were leaving one um one day. I think that was Qualls when I left for that. Um no, I I uh I've ran I ran into Chris Ballard here in the building. Um he actually another person that Dan Dockage has on yearly. Yep. Yearly for um different reasons. But I I you know you, you don't get a lot of conversation with them just because they're always on the move, but you know, you, I was able to catch him in the elevator. So that mm-hmm. was my experience to have that small elevator chat. He actually took a picture of my shirt that day because I was wearing a Pat McAfee shirt and he, and he was, he was upset because Pat never hasn't sent him anything at the, <laughs> by that, at that, at that current moment in time. Um, so that was, that was pretty cool. I will say, um, I feel, I feel like I've gotten able to, been able to meet a bunch of different people in the sports world that uh you know i wouldn't say necessarily have an impact on on my life or what i direction but i, I think what they've done is, is very cool like even even i've i've now taken gotten a picture with kristen airy and gotten to talk to kristen airy yep. two years in a row the you know the voice of the the pacers on television and and so the, that's i mean there's a bunch of different stuff that's been pretty cool um this isn't obviously with Emmis, but I've also been able to talk to Darius Leonard before uh, via That's his Instagram cool. live. And that was, yeah. that was pretty fun. That's awesome, bro. That's re- like I said, I mean, just my, I was there for about a year and I mean, I've had a lot of good experiences, but I mean, you guys have been there for so long and but let's just go ahead and hop right into it. Re- now we're, we were talking basketball. I do want to talk about the Pacers, but before we get to that point, I, I feel like it's only right. We have to talk about the finals real quick. Now, um, by the time this episode comes out, game six would have happened. So the Warriors could have won the championship. Warriors take a big 3-2 lead this in this series. Um, what a performance by the Warriors last night. Now, mind you, Steph Curry did not hit one single three. It's first time in his, I mean, what, it was 133 games or something like that, whatever. Is, I believe it was the first time in his playoff career. Yeah, he ever... Yeah, so I mean that's for Steph Curry to not have any three points, you know, eight three pointers made was that speaks on the Warriors as far as the scoring ability and Andrew Wiggins. I mean, we'll talk about him in a second, but I mean, Ed, I want to start with you first. What what did you see? What have you seen so far? Is it over for Boston, or do you think there's a game seven? And who do you think wins that? So when you look at the two games that Boston won first, getting pretty significant contributions out of the big three, that being Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum. The games they lost, those are the games in which the big three have been outscored by Wiggins, uh, Clay, and Steph. Mm -hmm. So it all starts with those three. But uh, when you go back and you look at that uh, Eastern Conference Finals and you look at how well Derek White was playing, he hasn't been the same Derek White in that series that he has been here in the NBA Finals. Al Horford was big in the Eastern Conference final. Al Horford has been a non-factor as well. Um, but when you look at game six, you think they may have found something in how they utilize Robert Williams because during the course of the season, he was averaging a double-double for the majority of the year, especially after the All-Star break. Um, and that was a large part to their turnaround was his defense and his ability mm-hmm. to score the pain in effect and get shots around the rim. Well, they finally found some utilization in that, I think, in game, uh, in game five that they can take over to game six. Um, but I think this still goes seven. I think Boston has one more push in them for game six back at home, and I don't think they let Golden State win it in Boston. Um, but I still think Golden State will win it. I've said Golden State in seven from the start. 
Yeah, no, I, I know how vocal you've been about Golden State. And let's go ahead and just say, what if Boston does not win? L- let's talk about Boston for a second. Adoka's already in the finals in his first year. Now, my question is, do you think if they do not make it, do they blow up that Tatum-Jalen Brown combo? Because it's actually been talked about a lot about maybe splitting those two up. Oh, I, I think they they definitely, you definitely keep those guys together. Um there's no doubt in my mind that they would they would do that. Um, uh, it's just Marcus Smart's 28, so it's like he's he's right right in the middle of his prime. So I don't I, I feel like you only have a certain window with him involved. Now, what Eddie spoke on about how when those three are on, that's when they've been winning. I think that with with the window you have with Marcus Smart, someone's going to have to be added eventually. But it's just a matter of when and who and or that or if they can get the right pieces put together with them um but I, I i just don't think that getting getting blowing up tatum and brown is is a is a good idea i think that you you got to continue to keep them i mean who what other teams out there has got two wing players that are two-way i mean you can you could consider them two-way based on how tatum played in the eastern conference finals yeah um and then people talked about that a lot about how good he was defensively now there's been bits and pieces where he's kind of fallen off, but I, I just think don't see any way that they, they would do that at all. Um, as far as Ime Odoka goes, uh, you know, even though he's been here, um, is his first, you know, finals, I think he's, he's been around winning long enough that he understands what, what the need is. I mean, his background, you can, you can, everyone, you know, highlights the, importance of coming from Popovich's coaching tree and and that's that's always um a big boost on your resume no matter what so I, I think he's been around winning but I think he he even knows that there's no way that they should blow move it either of those guys all right my question to you now is do you still think Boston pulls it off in seven or do you think it's do you think the Warriors win in six or seven do you think it just win in general it's gonna it's gonna be hard um if they if they're in even have a chance i um eddie probably remembers i came to him before the day of game one i said boston six because i I believe it's it's a i've all, i've been talking about this slightly with a, a bunch of different people um it's it was the eye test for me like it's um like a, another example like we're watching if if anyone were to watch the the Indianapolis 500 scott dixon is the eye test on that you could tell Scott Dixon had the best car and the fastest car, and you could see him. You could see how much he was pulling away from people when he was in the lead, and the one mess up, you know, turned mm-hmm. into him losing the race. Just one little minor screw-up. And for me, look, when I was watching Boston the past, you know, Eastern Conference Finals and the semis, I thought that they were the best team. I would go in and I was like, oh, this, this team defensive, Same. like they have Same. all the tools needed to win a championship. It was just a matter of them playing like it was a matter of Tatum playing consistently, which we, which is something we haven't seen this entire finals. Yeah. Um, and Brown's kind of outshined him, out, you know, outdone him except for last game, game five. But um, as far as who I think is going to win, I, you know, I've always, I've been heavy on Boston, like I said, but it, it is going to be very difficult to pull off two more games, especially with the last was going to be in San Francisco. Yeah, that that that's the tough one. Let's go back for a moment. If you and we're gonna go ahead and look to next year because we're gonna talk about the Pacers next. But I do want to ask this question because I am fixated on this. 
If Boston does not win, who do they add? Uh, that's a good question because I mean, when you look at when you look at their current makeup, I don't think Turner would fit in uh, because of what Robert Williams brings on you know at the rebounding side of things, as well as the elite shot blocking ability that he has displayed this entire postseason. Not saying that Turner can't be or is not an elite shot blocker. Um, I just think. Turner would cause a little bit more of an issue on the defensive end because mm-hmm. as you've seen in the finals, you can switch with Robert Williams and you don't, you don't have to worry. You can just be like, all right, fair game. Like Steph, he can guard Steph. He can stay in front of Steph. He can stay in front of clay. Uh, he can certainly stay in front of Wiggins. Now, when you look at Turner, he gets beat by those smaller guards. So because he's not as agile as mm-hmm. a guy like Robert Williams, they can just go right underneath or right behind, or right by him. So, I wouldn't look for them to add another center or a big guy. I would look at them to add another wing to back up Brown and Tatum, or even like you could, even like what the Warriors have done this postseason in the last two games in games five and game six with their starting five. They didn't start a center. They yeah, went with Otto Porter Jr. Yeah, they went small. So I think they need another wing to kind of help with them if they have to run into a team like Golden State in the future that they can play small. They don't have to worry about, you know, being outran down the floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second thing I could see them possibly looking into would be some sort of ball handling point guard that doesn't look to score first. He looks to get other guys involved um, because their biggest issue has been turnovers. Like last game, you can call you could put it on turnovers and free throws. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? Well, you, you get a ball handler, you get a guy that doesn't turn the ball over. So um, it, I don't know who you would go to for that situation, but those are just kind of the two needs that I think Boston should address in the offseason if they wanted to. I don't think it's something that they have to do. I think they're good enough to get there again next season because I think of the the one thing that everyone knocked them for, and it's kind of showing right now, is the lack of experience in the finals. Mm-hmm. Going up against one of the best dynasties ever um, in Golden State with Steph, Clay, and Draymond. They have a lot of experience and they can outsmart you. Now, Cam, I'm going to give you a different player, a different uh, Pacer player who is rumored to be on the move. Now, what do you think? Now, Eddie talks about a, a ball-handling point guard. What do you think if they went after somebody like a Malcolm Brogdon? Yeah, I I like I like what, to be honest, I disagree with Eddie because in terms of the ball-handling point guard because I like what they have now only because Jalen Brown and Jay, Jason Tatum, I think they've grown when they have the ball in their hands more because, I mean, you go look back at game one they had third Jason Tatum had 13 assists and only 12 points in that game and I think that that I think that needs to continue for them to grow because you want your star players to make the rest of your team better now I don't get me wrong having a guy you can't be can't be turning the ball over the way Jason Tatum has this no. entire series mm-hmm. like he's gonna have to be smarter with the basketball if they want to continue that direction if if they don't, and the other the opposite of me is what Eddie is pretty much saying is having someone who who is a little more more ball dominant, who's very careful with the ball and doesn't turn the ball over as much. I mean, it just it just depends on how 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 they want to um, progress with their offense. Now, a guy like Malcolm Brogdon, that's that's obviously he is the guy kind of guy that you would think of in terms of someone who you know is very careful with the ball. He's I mean. He's a good defender too, but I, I, the way I look at it is, is I think that that team is already, I mean, even Eddie kind of said it, uh, said it that the team's already set pretty much. Um, now, kind of going 
outside of yours. I think what he said in terms of having a player that can be smaller, I think they need some kind of stretch four that's not it's a little bit more mobile. I mean, Al Horford, you could say Al Horford's that, but that he's getting up there in age and who knows how much longer he will be able to, he'll want to play, to continue to play. And with this, with this group that they already have and Robert Williams, Tatum Brown and Marcus Smart, you want that one more guy. I think that they could have if they needed to go small and bring in like one of their Grant Williams who plays a one through four spot, like PJ Tucker's done for the past five or six years now. I mean, those are, that's the thing I was kind of wondering. I mean, and, and I remember hearing about that, that that the the Celtics not having a true, like, ball-handling point guard plays to their advantage because Marcus Smart is a elite defender. Obviously, he's defensive player of the year. So how does that happen? I mean, like you said, I, I agree with the fact that you let Tatum and, and Brown bring the ball up because those two can attack, especially Jalen Brown. I mean, for his speed and his size, he can get downhill, get to the basket, uh, create contact. I mean, that's awesome. Let's talk about the Pacers now. We're not going to talk about last season. That was a struggle. I mean, a lot of now a lot of things have changed. There were some players traded. Sabonis is gone. We now have Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, Buddy Hill isn't expected to come back next year. They're maybe thinking about moving him, or there's a lot of teams that are interested in Buddy Hill. Um, but let's talk about this. Pacers have the number six pick, Ed. Who do you like there? I like Benedict Matherin out of uh, Arizona. Um, what he displayed in the NCAA tournament, uh, I don't know. I can't remember which round. I think it was Sweet 16, maybe. Uh, whatever game, he, like, literally could not throw the ball into the ocean. But, like, when it came down to, like, the time to win, he made a couple of big shots and forced overtime. I can't remember who it was against. But uh, he made winning plays when you needed him to make winning plays. I think that's somebody that the Pacers need because they really lack that guy on, on the roster right now that has an experience to winning. You look at Halliburton, he comes from Sacramento Kings. They're not used to winning. I'm uh, sure you have Malcolm Brockton. He's been used to winning. Miles Turner's been used to winning. But, like, when you look at the rest of the roster, it's like, who on this team knows how to win and make winning plays? So you need to look into the – that's something you have to factor in when you're making this decision. If you're Kevin Pritchard, Rick Carlisle and company, um, I like Benedict Matherin. He would be like, I don't think there's a clear-cut one – that the Pacers have to draft. Mm-hmm. I think there's like, there's a three, there's three that I would look at. I Benedict Matherin would be one A for me. One B would be a Keegan Murray. Um, he can make shots. He can score in the mid range. He can score down low in the post. He can shoot it from the outside. He has the ability to create. I mean, he's probably going to step into the NBA. And if he had a starting role, he'll probably average somewhere between, you know, 15 and 17 points per game. You know, he's a guy that could be like TJ Warren-esque, uh, in a nice replacement because you need that's what they missed last year was a guy like TJ Warren mm-hmm. you know who can go get you a bucket when you needed him to go get you a bucket um, and then the guy who I think is the most intriguing um, is Shaden Sharp um, he's 18 years old he has so much raw athleticism you have nobody has seen him play against college basketball uh, at some of the best levels. So you don't know what you're going to get. You don't know what he's like in terms of game speed, but you can look at all the highlights from when he was in high school. You can look at the highlights from his draft workouts and you can see that there is a lot of talent there. Now, how good is he going to be? That's the big question. But the, the, that, the mystery factor to me is the most intriguing part of all of this. Like mm-hmm. he's 18 years old and he's going to be 21, 22 when he's off of that rookie deal. So he's still going to be extremely young. Uh, and there's certainly a lot of room to grow. And if you're the Pacers, 
you could look at that youth and be like, hey, we can have this guy for, you know, 20, not 20, but like 15 years. Yeah. You have him until he's like 33 if that's how if long he turns out. Play. Yeah. Yeah. If he, if if he, he turns, turns out. out. Yeah. yeah, if he turns out to be something special, you can have him for a decade, uh, 10 to plus 10 plus years. And like, there you go. There's the franchise piece because I don't think Tyrese Halliburton um, is the franchise player. I think he's a complimentary piece to the main guy. That's just my personal opinion. Yeah. And I really like what I mean, I really like the points you made, Eddie. Those are a lot of good players that, you know, I think would be good fits for the Pacers, because like I said, this is the highest pick they've ever had. At number six. And I mean, you look at a lot of players who were taken, you know, number six. And it's actually funny that one of the best players taken at number six, interesting fact, Larry Bird was the number six pick. And we know how, you know, Larry Legend obviously turned out. Now, Cameron, I kind of want to ask you the same question. I mean, who who do you like at that, you know, at that number six spot for the Pacers? Um, I know you sometimes, you know, you agree with Eddie, but I feel like you might be disagreeing in this in this realm. A two or a three is definitely is definitely getting getting picked. Um, I think there's there's too many wing too many wings and guards um, in the top the top seven eight didn't to, to not be taking one. And I think you're you're kind of set in terms of big man. I mean, like Miles is back for another year. Um, I like Isaiah Jackson more, too. more than like Isaiah. Isaiah, I mean, you just drafted Isaiah Jackson, and he showed promise when he had minutes. And I think it, uh, I think he continued. Not now, he's not necessarily going to be. I, I see him more of as Montrezl Harrell kind of type, where it's yeah. not him. Isaiah Jackson isn't a full starter, but he will be a very good. I mean, I, I, Harrell was in the runnings for the sixth man of the year, you know, that year. So the. It's one of those things where, but um, going back to your question, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be a two or three. Now, who it is? That's a there's 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 a but it just I think it depends on how it falls. The first five falls first, mm-hmm. and then I think they'll they, they probably already got their order and who they want. You know, the four I wrote four names down when I when I when I seen this pick and it was it was Keegan Murray and Benedict Mathurin, which is what uh, Eddie brought up, and those were the two that. You know, I saw, and the other two was also, you know, one of the guys that just got done working out, Dyson Daniels, the the G League player, who's yep. who exploded in the G League, and then AJ Griffin was the, was that's the four that I think has the potential to go in that in that six range right there. I and, like AJ. I like AJ a I, lot. I well, overall I really like AJ because I'm bullish on AJ. You said why? Yeah, why do you like AJ? I'm bullish on AJ. I mean, I look at it with the fact that. Like you said, it's somebody who, if we throw it down into the block, or if we throw, or if we need somebody to go in there and get a bucket, I feel like he can do that, man. I mean, he's very, he's very versatile for his size too. But the one thing I really like about him the most is I feel like he would be a good fit here. I mean, we the thing is, it's Indiana. Let's be real, it's Indiana. I mean, it's not the big glamorous type of state, but I feel like AJ has the type of personality and playing style that I think we would fit here in. Indiana, and I don't think he would be somebody who would want to leave, you know, after his first deal is done, or maybe after the first eight years. Like I don't know, Paul George. I mean, we need, we want, and I feel like he could be a piece here. Like, and that's the thing about the Pacers. That's the one thing I love about the Pacers is that, you know, going back to like, you know, we've always had a, you know, we've had some sort of star. 
Um, now, right now, we don't necessarily have one. A lot of people saying Tyrese, which I agree with you, Ed. I don't think Tyrese Halliburton is a franchise player, but he is a very good piece. Uh, Chris Dorte, very good piece. I mean, you have all these guys that the Pacers have added, but you know, when I think of somebody like Griffin, it's a big man who could come in, can play alongside Turner and not necessarily, you know, Turner likes to play out on the three-point line anyway. Let's be real. He's not much of an interior player anyway, but he will hit you. He will hit some three-point shots. Let's be real. He's one of the best three-point big men in the game. I mean, that's just what he does. But like I said, I just think Griffin's playing style personality would fit here in Indiana. That's the biggest reason why I'm, why I'm so in on it. And plus on top of that, he was coached by Coach K, which, I mean, that's an advantage. Let's be real. That, that It's not always a big advantage, but when you come out of Duke and you have some time with Coach K, I think it's beneficial. Um, Not to, to jump in kind of off topic there, but the, the, going back to the, the four that I kind of named, I was I think that if Keegan Murray is there, I think that's that's where they're going to go in terms of the Pacers. I just feel like there's not – his scoring ability, there's no way you can pass that up. I mean, like he, his proven scoring ability, not 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 the ideal scoring ability. His, his The numbers he put up in college and the range he showed in college. Like I remember the Big Ten champion – the Big Ten tournament game against IU he recently played. Mm-hmm. And I, I – you know, you, you go back and look at that and you can just be astounded by like what he was able to do. You know, it's it's like the one – the one handoff trip – the – the dribble handoffs that we see in the league, like especially by the fi- in the finals right now, the Warriors team that does that, he does that with like efficiency and and and, and the range is there. And I I just don't see a way that they go somewhere else if Keegan Murray's there at six. Let, let's let's just go ahead and uh, we're going to wrap up the Pacers here. But before we do, I want to ask both of you, um, what can we expect this upcoming season? That is the million dollar question. Um, and that's it's to me, it's all dependent on, OK, what do you do with Malcolm Brogdon and what do you do with Buddy Hill? Like, do you, which one do you keep and which one do you get rid of? Both of them. Um, <laughs> because like, they're going to keep Miles. I don't think they're getting rid of Miles. No. Carlisle and the coaching staff, they like Miles because of what he's able to do uh, on both ends of the floor. Uh, he helps spacing and he can help open up the paint by, you know, standing on the three point line and whatnot, open up driving lights for Halliburton to, you know, drive and kick, which is a big part of today's NBA. Um, but I don't think it would be the worst thing ever if they had one more down year like they did this year to get another top pick because you may look at it and you may be able to package something like if you get that pick from Cleveland next year, you can package your pick and that Cleveland pick. And make next thing you know, you can move up, you know, within top five, top five, top four, maybe. Uh, if you if there's a guy up there that you really love next year uh, that can play next to Halliburton and play with whomever else is in that starting five. So I think it wouldn't be the worst case if they had another down year. But it also would not surprise me if they signed a big, a big, a bigger name in free agency because they have the money to do it. Mm-hmm. Um I could also see them taking on a veteran that's got a really bad contract. Uh, that way they get an extra pick for next year, but it's, it's going to be very interesting because they have, they have assets to do um, whatever they really want for the first time in a long time. Uh, I mean, you heard Kevin Pritchard talk about this after the draft lottery is that uh, they have agents and they have people that have 
reached out to them saying, Hey, you guys are going to become the new team that everyone wants to come to. So it's like, what are you going to do? Like, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to sit back and let people come to you. Or are you going to be aggressive and go get what you want? And I think you have to be go ag- aggressive and hopefully it's a quick rebuild because I don't think the Pacer fans would stick around uh, after next year if they don't show any promise. Thanks for listening to this special episode of Kicking Back with Hirsch and Aaron. Thanks to Cam and Eddie once again for joining me this week. Come back next week as we'll have part two of this conversation. 